Welcome to The Twelfth Story, a book discussion podcast produced by the Mercantile Library in Cincinnati, Ohio. The Mercantile is a literary center of Cincinnati. We hold literary events, book discussions, concerts, film screenings, and much more throughout the year. And, and I might be a little biased here, our reading room is one of the most wonderful places in the entire city. You can find more information about the Mercantile, including a calendar of our upcoming events, on our website, mercantilelibrary.com. Today we'll be discussing Ghosts at a Watchman by Harper Lee. In Ghosts at a Watchman, a 20-something Jean Louise Finch, a.k.a. Scout from Lee's only other published novel, To Kill a Mockingbird, returns to her hometown, Makeham, Alabama, from her new home in New York City. During her visit, she discovers a pamphlet in her father's papers entitled The Black Plague, and later surreptitiously observes her father and her quasi-fiancé Henry attending a racially charged meeting of the local Citizens' Council. This forces her to reconcile her idealized conception of her father with the more complicated man she sees before her as an adult. I'm Chris Messick, the business and marketing manager at the Mercantile. With me today is Abby Moran, a friend of the library. Hello. And Paula Boggs-Muthing, Cincinnati City Solicitor. Hi, Chris. Hi. Um, so I thought before we actually get into the book, I feel like there are a couple different ways you can approach the book. Um, you can read it as a standalone novel. You can read it as a sequel to To Kill a Mockingbird, or you can read it as a rough draft for To Kill a Mockingbird, which I, I think it actually is. Um, but I, I kind of, I haven't read To Kill a Mockingbird since I was in 10th grade. So I was forced to take, take it on as a standalone novel. Um, so what were you thinking before you started the book, Abby? What was I thinking before I started? Yeah. Well, I really didn't want to start after I heard some of the, the mixed reviews on, on the novel. But once I got going, I really enjoyed it because I think Harper Lee's voice is there, that voice that you know so many readers love for good reason. Um, but I have read To Kill a Mockingbird many times, so I was thinking of that book a lot. I um, you know, read it as a student, and then I taught it uh, to seventh graders at the Seven Hills School here in Cincinnati. And then um, I recently reread it for a book club that Paula and I are in together. And um, so I, I, was, I think it reads very much as a first draft. And I, as, <laughs> as an English major and an English teacher, I would really love to see um, the two works in a companion edition, like a sort of Norton critical edition with, with Go Set a Watchman and To Kill a Mockingbird, plus all of the correspondence between the editor and Harper Lee about the book and how you know how it could possibly be changed, um, but I, I you know I I was curious about that how I would have felt about it if I had not ever read To Kill a Mockingbird how would it stand maybe we can talk about that later oh yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. <clears throat> I um well I didn't know how to approach the book really I like Abby I um, was apprehensive about reading the book um, after reading the reviews and. Um, hearing that Atticus is not the Atticus that I knew and loved from To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, I think after, after reading the book, at this point, it, it does make sense that it was a rough draft um, because, as Abby said, there, there is uh, Harper Lee's voice there. It just is, I think, less polished. It's not as finely crafted uh, as To Kill a Mockingbird is. But you do see those, um, those sparks of uh, interest and, and I can see why the initial publisher, um, you know, took the rough draft and said focus in on Scout's childhood because 
those really are the parts of the book that captured me um, and where I felt the most connected to the characters. Interesting. Well, I'm glad you mentioned um, the original publisher because I, I read a quote, and I believe it was, um, was him that said, he thought it read more like a series of anecdotes than a fully conceived novel, which I completely agree with. Um, did, what did you guys think about Didn't that? Didn't it seem like she was having more fun in yeah. Ghosts at a Watchman during the passages um, where she was flashing back to her childhood? It seemed looser. It seemed to come more easily. And, of course, you know, it's easy to have more fun with a, with a simpler time and that, you know, the subject material is much less serious during the flashbacks than, you know, than what Jean Louise is experiencing in the contemporary moment of the novel. But I absolutely can see how an editor would have said, it was really a smart editor, obviously, <laughs> to say, you know, here, let's, let's zero in on, um, on this childhood time. I loved that scene um, where Jem and, and Jean Louise are with um, Dill uh, um, next to Miss Rachel's fish pond, and they do, the, they, uh, do their fake revival and uh, baptism in the fish pond, and then they're witnessed, um, you know, much to their chagrin by Atticus and the, and the Methodist minister. Just, <laughs> it was so great, and that's the, that's the kind of humor and, and kind of um, picture that we love so much about To Kill a Mockingbird, I think. I agree with that. I, I do think that the, um, the contemporary parts of the book, um, particularly toward the end when um, Jean Louise is struggling with all of these um, revelations, it's, it, it really does border on kind of um, a lecture, kind of a preachy um, type sentiments. And, and even the subject matter, I think even from the more liberal Jean Louise standpoint is is discomforting mm. because by I think mm -hmm. certainly by um, what I consider our standards it is it is not particularly enlightened um, and so I think those those passages were difficult um, and you know I think that's where I kind of I didn't I didn't love those parts of the book I think the um, you know where she does have her true voice where it does seem like she's having the most fun are on the in these uh, childhood flashbacks. Yeah. Yeah, that's I I got that too. I mean, I I expected, you know, I Atticus from just from what I read before the book to have, you know, his attitudes towards uh the NAACP and that sort of thing, but I agree it was Scout was like uh not particularly ahead of the curve on that thing, I think, at least as it was written in this book. Well, right, and you go into that scene where they're in Atticus's office and she's confronting him, and it seems like she's got like, the pr progressive idea that mm -hmm. we're hoping that she has, and then he's, he's the racist. And then as that scene progresses, it becomes much more um, clear that she also has some views that we would be uncomfortable with from our kind of 2015 perspective. Yeah. So... I guess having read the book, I mean, we know it was a rough draft. Do you, do you see, I mean, is the Atticus in the second book, can you reconcile him? I mean, is he the same guy as in the first book? Is it the same character? Or do, do you feel like it's a, a different person that you, you have to kind of deal with in this? Do you know what I'm saying? I do. You know, I, you know, I thought about that a lot because I, I think one of the most, one of the interesting parts of... Ghost and a Watchman is this kind of 
you know, struggle, mm -hmm. that inner struggle that Jean Louise is having about you know, her father, who she's viewed as this hero, and kind of, you know, him falling off the pedestal. And I think that it certainly, it certainly is conceivable that it's the same Atticus. I mean, I think it's certainly conceivable that the person that we saw in To Kill a Mockingbird um, morphs into this person in Ghosts at a Watchman. I think that, um, you know, Harper Lee is trying very hard just within Ghosts at a Watchman to, to uh, you know, show how the Atticus that we're seeing in her today um, is the same person with the same values um, premised upon, um, you know, kind of the same laws and outlook um, as the Atticus of her childhood, of, of Scout's childhood. Um, but, you know, I, I can't believe that it's the same one, at least from To Kill a Mockingbird, that the way that I've read that book and the way that I've um, thought about Atticus, it's... I, I would really have to readjust the way that I've thought mm -hmm. about him and, um, frankly, you know, the way that I think a whole generation of people have thought about him and, you know, not just from the novel, but also this, like, grand portrayal of him by Gregory Peck right. in the movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. it is, it's a very, it's very different, um, and you don't want to, to think or believe that this is the person that he becomes. Yeah. Well, so she wrote this Ghost at a Watchman, if we can believe, you know, what we're hearing from her lawyer and her biographers and, um, and HarperCollins. You know, I think we, we can believe that she wrote this draft in the mid-50s. And then she worked on it for a couple of years in conjunction with this editor and then published To Kill a Mockingbird in the early 60s, correct? Is it 1961, 1962? Right in, Something in, like that, right early in there. 60s, yeah. So obviously a lot was transpiring in the current events of the day, you know, yeah. around civil rights. And she also, you know, had to make a series of decisions about how she was going to present these characters. So, you know, she made some decisions about how to present Atticus, and he... And, in some ways, To Kill a Mockingbird is a more simplistic portrayal of him. Like, he is just all good mm -hmm. in To Kill a Mockingbird, which is one of the reasons that you can teach it to seventh graders. You yeah. know, it is, um, you know, while I do think that To Kill a Mockingbird is much more developed in terms of its portrayal of, like, a lot of the, the minor characters, you know, Atticus is more simplistic in some, in some ways in that, in that later book. Um, you know, why did she decide to do that? Was it because of current events? Was it because of pressure from her editor? Was it because it's what white people want to read? Mm -hmm. You know, why, why did she make that decision? I don't know that we'll ever really know. Um, perhaps there, you know, there are more papers and letters and more correspondence between her and her editor that will emerge, you know, in the, in the coming years, maybe after her passing. Um, but I think it's it's kind of hard to know. I, I just I feel like this is a book that's been writer you know in a in a writer's workshop. It's just an evolution, and people are so upset about this different Atticus. But he is a fictional character, and you know, and it's so important to realize that this book was written first, even though it occurs later. Mm -hmm. I think what she what she wants us to take from Atticus, I think, is the Atticus in To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, I you know I kind of. Um, at some point in the book, I started thinking about it as To Kill a Mockingbird, that Atticus is how a child sees, yes. sees the man, you know? But then when you get older, you start to see some nuance in there and 
some, some things. I don't want to say dismiss Atticus's views as nuance like that, but you know, you see kind of a good and bad and some gray areas and some ways you disagree with people. A more adult view of the same person, possibly. And, the, yeah. and a more adult view of her town, her yeah. hometown. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, there, there are some subtleties about the way he's treating African Americans mm-hmm. in Ghost Out of Watchmen that I just don't think that his character in To Kill a Mockingbird was doing those things. Like the interplay between him and Calpurnia and Zebo is mm-hmm. just is is different. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I yeah, the, the, all that all of that piece about Scout's relationship with her father and how she's idolized him and the you know it's very Freudian how you know she has. He has to disconnect from her um, and go set a watchman. Um, that's all. That's all really interesting since we uh, in *To Kill a Mockingbird* see such a child's perspective of this great hero father figure. Um, I think that's a really common a human experience to have one childlike idea of your parent, and then as as you go to college and realize that you know everything, <laughs> you, you have a different perspective on uh-huh. your parents. I mean, I, I, you know, I do think that um, there were some parts of the book that, uh, at least for me, made the case that this was the first draft, the, you know, the first book. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of it is because, you know, there were some um, things like scouts, colorblindness that, I mean, that just made me want to roll my eyes. I, you know, it was just such a, like, hit you over the head kind of thing. And, um, you know, I do think kind of the description of how they had to kill Scout in order for her to become her own person. I mean, it's all, it was all, um, you know, (laughs) it just didn't, there's no way that would have survived in a book. Um, you know, that was, that was actually going through the editing process with a publisher. So. I remember one passage where she, she was at her uncle's house mm-hmm. and she the, it said something like, and I looked around and I realized that it was almost like the room was a reflection of his personality. And then she talks about the room. So I was, that was one thing where I thought, you know, I think an editor would mm-hmm. say, you don't need to say that, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it, you can just put the room out there and people will make the connection, <laughs> right. you know? The whole passage with her, the conversation yeah. with her uncle was hard going. It very, was. very it hard. Was. Yes, oh, absolutely. Oh, please, please bring us to the point. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Please. That was, yeah. that was tough. It was one of the more And he's a character passages. that really evolves mm-hmm. in, um, in terms of um, how she portrays him in To Kill a Mockingbird because he has a big, he has a big role in To Kill a Mockingbird too, but it, he's not nearly as obscure. You know, all gone are the the Victorian literary references yeah. and everything. So I'm sure her editor just said, "Yeah, out of here." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, even the the part of the uh, the revelation that he was in love with her mother, uh-huh. just like such an odd yeah. fact to just drop. Where, you know, isn't it enough that he's your uncle and that right. he could that doesn't have any children of his own that he could develop that kind of special relationship with you? Yeah, there doesn't have to be this additional like strange feelings about yeah. your mother. I I was very I was very confused by that. Yeah, it was almost like she thought, oh, I need to have some kind of revelation at the end of this thing, you know? Because you could, yeah. I, I thought that was a little weird too. I thought the. Yeah, I definitely agree that character could have used a lot of toning down. Well, and so apparently did her editor. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> For the best. Right. <laughs> what did you think of the ending? How did you how did you feel about that? 
did you feel like she was going to stay and make them at the end? I mean, I certainly think that, um, yeah, I did. I mean, I, I, I think that's, you know, all, all signs are pointing in that direction, really. That is another kind of like, you know, please stay here, make us better. Yeah. How, I'm, I, that, that is really the kind of first time writer. I think a really, um, it's a really just a naive view of um, race relations and the kind of turmoil that the South was going through. Um, I mean, I, I certainly agree that it's much better to have um, people with different viewpoints. You know, you want a diverse, a diverse uh, uh, population um, in order to ensure that people are treated fairly, that everyone has, um, you know, has a voice. But uh, I, I did think that kind of the plea at the end, you know, for her to, to stay there because um, only through um, her staying there could the town, like, re, um, you know... Remake itself really, or move forward. Right, exactly. It felt like such a bleak future for this character that we've come to love. What is her what is her future in this little town? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, where who's she gonna marry now? Who are her contemporaries? <laughs> right. Who are her contemporaries? <laughs> These women at the coffee? Oh yeah. Oh good lord. And yeah. even the church service is boring. Yeah. You know, what are you going to do? Your house is your childhood home has been torn down and you know, covered in gravel right. in an ice cream shop. And there's, yeah, and you, the, the, the last guy that you could marry, you're cutting loose. And all the respectable men are at the Citizens Council meeting. It just felt like such an unsatisfactory hanging chad there at the end, you know? Really? Yeah. What really was, was the. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it would have been better if she resolved it, if the author resolved exactly what, what Scout was going to do, but it. I don't. I felt so uncomfortable when I closed the book. Did you? I yeah. agree. It was abrupt, really, uh, because I felt like she had taken care to like button up so many issues along the way, mm -hmm. right? Um, that this one just it was it was just such a sudden, abrupt ending. Which is, it, I think, it's okay if you have a more kind of open uh, type novel where you know things are. Um, left up in the air, but but so much of this was like closed, yeah. right? It's like okay, we know what we're going to do about Atticus. We know what we're going to do about Henry. We mm -hmm. don't quite know yet what you know. We don't mm -hmm. know what's going to happen here. Yeah. What did you think? I just I I don't know. I just wonder if the author really wanted wants us out there, you know? Because yeah. it is there's so much. Um, that's neat and well-crafted about To Kill a Mockingbird. And she, by all accounts, um, Harper Lee is such a reader. And even as her, her eyesight has failed her in her old age, she's still reading you know, great volumes of material. And she surely knows all these things, that all this whole catalog of weaknesses that we can come up with. Mm -hmm. um, and it just, it just feels very odd that for decades she resisted publishing another right. work and then now that her sister I mean this manuscript was supposedly discovered by um, her lawyer right after her sister who had been her attorney until her sister turned like a hundred years old right after the sister the older sister the protector dies this 
attorney, Tanya Carter, discovered the manuscript and supposedly Harper Lee is all of a sudden okay with publishing it. It just feels a little fishy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and publishing it, <clears throat> I mean, I, I, I didn't know that it was a, like a first draft of the book until I, after I finished it, I read up on it a little bit. I mean, if, if it had been presented by her as, you know, like, I don't know, the Beatles put out, here's some rarities, right. here's how we made this song, here's some B-side, that kind of thing. Right. If it was presented more like supplemental material, like you say, to another collection, I could see that. But yeah, it doesn't seem like something a, a novelist would want to be putting out for her second novel as a novel, you know? Um, right. But then on the other hand, you know, her older sister had protected her literary reputation and her estate and all of her papers for years. You know, maybe Harper Lee didn't want her sister to act that way. Maybe she wanted there to be more of a free flow of information. Um, you know, I'm an older sister and I am surely always acting in my siblings' <laughs> best interest, but maybe <laughs> she had an older sister who wasn't. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. It just It just seems... It just seems odd. Yeah. Uh, the timing seems odd. Yeah, maybe she finally was free from the yoke of her sister <laughs> stopping her from publishing this right. book. Is that, I don't right. know. Right, I don't know. I know yeah. that HarperCollins has made a great deal of money yeah. um, from the publication of this book. They said that it was their fastest selling book ever. And um, I read somewhere today that they sold 1.1 million copies of the book in the first week. And I know the initial print run for the first edition was two million copies, which is a lot. Yeah. Um, so you know, <laughs> it just it you know the whole the whole thing seems a little a little sketchy since she has so um, so zealously guarded her her privacy and for so long insisted that she wasn't going to publish anything else. It just feels it feels a little odd. Yeah. It does make you wonder if. Um, if there aren't some great novelists out there who'd really do just have the one great novel in them, mm -hmm. and that's that. Um, and, you know, maybe she thought that about herself or believes that about herself and never wanted this book to see the light of day. And um, I, I do think it, the circumstances, as you, as you both have appropriately pointed out, are um, very strange, particularly because... At this point, you know, what we've heard is that she is very frail, right? She's, mm -hmm. frail, she's had a stroke. She's almost blind. Mm -hmm. um, she's really hard of hearing. Right. And so the, I, the kind of the notion that she would suddenly have this change of heart um, and communicate that um, right after the passing of her sister seems really um, at odds with everything we've known about her really since she published To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm -hmm. and she's always been this kind of very private, almost reclusive person, um, you know, except for inside of her hometown. Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting. It's a, it's, a, it's a real question about motives here. Well, as a lover of To Kill a Mockingbird, I'd always hoped that she had been writing the whole time and that she just intended everything to be published upon her death. Mm -hmm. You know, that there was, you know, maybe a series of novels or short stories or something, but that she just didn't want to deal with the publicity. Because I think that she gave her last interview in 1965 or something. You know, it's been a really long time um, since she gave, mm -hmm. you know, the press very much access to her. Um, 
but I don't know. So I was, I was really surprised and delighted initially when I heard that this book was coming. And then, you know, as more information has trickled out, it just, it just feels kind of, feels a little sleazy. Yeah. Just having read this, does it in any way affect how you feel about To Kill a Mockingbird? I mean, have you, have you read it since you read this? Did you go back and read it at all? I didn't. I have not yeah. um, gone back to read it, but it does not affect the way I feel about To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, I, I think that novel is, um, it would be very hard to, I think, uh, touch the way that um, I feel about that book. It's, you know, it really has become, um, I think for many of us, this kind of symbolic, right? Like. Like here, here's the good South in mm-hmm. a way, um, and that that the fact that that uh, this book was a rough draft, mm-hmm. and what came out was To Kill a Mockingbird. I think really is to me, it's fascinating. It's a real glimpse inside of the writing process and where a good editor really can get you to mm-hmm. the gem of you know what you have what you have inside of you know whatever it is that you first produced yeah. because uh, you know how you, I think any even a very good writer um, doesn't necessarily have the ability to be objective about their own work right. so I think that part is very very intriguing it really reminded me of a lot of my favorite parts of To Kill a Mockingbird too a lot of the minor characters I think are so well done like the do you remember isn't Adolphus Raymond is the is the guy who drinks um, right. at the courthouse, and um, oh, and the missionary society ladies who come to um, have have tea with Aunt Alexandra, and, um, and the kids from school, and the school teacher, and everything. It just this book reminded me of um, of those vivid minor characters in To Kill a Mockingbird, and um, I, I think that. It just sh- shows off the, as Paula just said, the, the you know the benefits of the editing process and and Harper Lee's gift for that that Southern voice and her gift for anecdote is on display in both places. But um, this reading Ghost Set of Watchmen made me want to go read To Kill a Mockingbird. I was hunting through my bookshelves trying to find my copy, and I think I've. I think I've given it away or passed it on or put it in my little free library. Probably. Um, <laughs> but I need, to, I need to find another copy and reread it. Yeah, I definitely want to go back and read it now. Mm-hmm. I think I'll, you know, I'm, I'm always interested in the process of how mm-hmm. something happens. So I'm looking forward to seeing, having this be bigger and fresher in my mind, seeing how this can become that, you know? I, you know, I do think that... Um, Knowing that in this book, Jem dies so young. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I keep I keep thinking about that because he's. Um, I mean, to me, that book is really. You know, I don't just think about Scout. I think about Scout and Jem because mm-hmm. it was. You know, it was really their whole story, and I, I I think that, in some ways, that you know, reading this book does will change that a little bit, I think, for me, in terms of um, rereading To Kill a Mockingbird and, and thinking about, you know, how you really don't know what happens to them after this. And it makes it more poignant, that. doesn't it? Really it really does, to think about absolutely. Dill being overseas and yes. kind of losing touch with them and Jem. 
dying so young. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Well, it's kind of, it reminds you that the, a novel, a, a good novel is just kind of just a slice of, yes. of the world, you know? Because if you, if you read To Kill a Mockingbird with the thought that, you know, Scout ends up back in town in the 70s, you know? Right, <laughs> it's, right. It's just too depressing to even <laughs> right. think about. But, you know, if you, can, if you just have to remember, it's just like one little piece. Right. Of, of, and it can still be a great little piece because that's, that's what things are, I feel like. I totally agree. Right, one vision. It's interesting to see the, the child's perspective on, on Maycomb and all the different like social strata in, um, in To Kill a Mockingbird, and then to have the ad- adult perspective of, of her hometown when she comes back to visit from New York, which you know will give you a, a new perspective on any little town in yeah. America. And Paula and I are both small town girls, you know, who've come to the metropolis of Cincinnati. <laughs> and uh, I definitely found that after I had gone away um, from my hometown in Indiana, I had a different perspective on it when I returned. And so I thought that a lot of a lot of what um, Harper Lee was. A lot of her depictions and descriptions um, of Scout's feelings about her hometown rang very true to me. Mm-hmm. You know, she wants it to stay the same. She wants it to be preserved um, as she remembers from her kind of glory days of her youth. Yeah. But then on the other hand, she's very uncomfortable with um, the modern reality of her hometown. And I definitely um, have felt that tension a lot when I return home. It's um, if any of my hometown friends are listening to this <laughs> podcast, I still love you, but I, it is uncomfortable for me to go because yeah. I've chosen not to live there for specific reasons, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's not a good fit for my um, for my politics or my you know the way I want to raise my family or any of that. But at the same time, I have a lot of affection for that place too. So I think um, that tension is really well portrayed and I I think too that you know she wants to scout wants to make this relationship with Henry work in Mm -hmm. some ways she wants to be the good daughter she wants to fit in in that coffee is kind of a is uncomfortable because she is pushing back against her her contemporaries but at the same time she does she does want her way to be easier than it is yeah you know it would be way it would be much easier for her to just fit in with those with those women Mm -hmm. Oh, I totally agree. I, I think in particular um, that that part of the book, the coffee, I could really mm. sympathize with. You know, I have been um, <laughs> in the same type of setting at, you know, baby showers or bridal showers. Um, mm. And the I, I, I certainly, um, you know, since I uh, am from a very small town in Kentucky, um, baby showers and weddings happen uh, <laughs> A very, quite a long time ago, right. um, just just honestly, right after a high school graduation, and so, um, you know, my own aspirations and you know what I continue to want for uh, my family and my career are very different than yeah. what the reality is for those people. And I, you know, I think um, it life could have been, I think, easier in terms of fitting in. Um, if I had chosen differently, but it would have been harder to um, live with myself than those choices, um, really, in the long run. I'm sure you agree, Abby. I thought that was an interesting moment, too, that kind of relates to this. Because, you know, Scout's like, I can't, I can't 
deal with, you know, I can't be around you because of how you are. I can't handle that. But then Henry at one point is like, look, if I'm going to help the town, if I'm going to do what I do best to help the town that I'm from, that I love, how can I do it if I'm an outsider? Mm-hmm. You know, not necessarily something that I would be okay for me or right for me, mm-hmm. but it just was a different side of this thing, you know, like instead of thinking, what do I want to do to make things all right for me? He's saying, okay, I have to do some things I don't necessarily think are savory, mm-hmm. but because I'm doing it because that's how I can best help my town. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I thought that was... It's really interesting. Yeah. In in my hometown, the center of the social life is, um, is are these evangelical churches. And so there are people who participate. Basically, their whole social life is is the evangelical church, the Wednesday night, the Sunday morning, and the Sunday evening, and then the high school football games. And that's that's what you do. If you want to be a part of the social life of the town, you need to participate in those things. If you are living there and you don't participate, then you're just, you know, you, you're on the out, outskirts. You're on the outside of it. So that that's one thing I was wondering, too. Like, if Scout stays at the end of the novel, what does she choose to do? Who are yeah. her people? Yeah. We always, in my family, we always laugh. If I had stayed, you know, and I was teaching high school English at the local high school, I would totally be the person who acted out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in some kind of, you know, went out in a flame of glory because it just, it, it would be, it would be hard for me to find my place. Yeah. So there was this passing, uh, um, passing reference in the book to um, people who didn't agree, who were, you know, had made their homes elsewhere. In the woods. Right? right? Yeah, in, in the, the woods. woods. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, I don't know that that's the scout's trajectory, but yeah. it seems like a house in the woods is what's... It's, but it seems like she's going to be in her parent in her father's house in the bed where she was born, yeah. living with the aunt and they keep Alexandra. Saying that. Yeah, I was born in this bed. Oh, she put her God. suitcase and is like, "This is the spot where I was born." And oh. she's packing up to go. Yeah. Oh Lord, it's yeah. bleak. It really is depressing um, to think about her options being living in the house in the bed where she was born, or a house in the woods <laughs> where there might be other people like her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> they can discuss radical politics over a campfire. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, politics that aren't actually that radical, but yeah. are really, really yeah. quite backward, actually. Oh. Yeah, kind of iffy politics. Radical for the moment. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And so, you know, part of the, um, part of at least what I was thinking as I was reading that was, you know, this, this is a betrayal of the time um, in which this work was written. And so it must really be another part of a good editor's job to say, you know, yes. this is going to evolve. These, yes. these ideas will evolve. And let's so set it back a little bit. Let's capture, yeah. a, let's capture a moment, as you were saying, this slice of your mm-hmm. life, and not necessarily have the, you know, the political lecture um, that that seems to come at the end. It's really interesting. It was interesting, though, wasn't it, to read Atticus's explanation of his perspective? Mm-hmm. I mean, while we find it repugnant from our modern perspective, it was interesting to read that because you know that she, that Harper Lee heard that someplace. Like that is that is a real belief system, mm-hmm. and so um, I think that 
especially just with all the the race related events we've we've seen in our country in the last twelve months. Um, I think it was it's really interesting to see what is you know relatively recent history mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like a white a white southern mindset. Maybe I, maybe not so southern. Maybe maybe more widespread than we would like to think. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I mean, you know, even even recently with the, um, this whole controversy over the Confederate flag that we've been hearing so much about, you yeah. know, um, you've heard honestly the same strains in this dialogue mm-hmm. as you did in that, mm-hmm. um, you know, that those passages in our book and. Um, you know, this idea that the Civil War was not about slavery, uh, you know, that is, I mean, it, it's something that has um, been carried through time um, as this argument for, you know, whatever it is, you know, at that point uh, in Ghost of the Watchmen, it was um, this segregation, kind of segregationist perspective, and, and today it's, you know, what the Confederate flag means, but in all instances, it's revisionist because mm-hmm. in these, you know, these emancipation documents that are produced by the states that actually tried to leave the Union, you know, slavery is always listed as this, you know, this reason um, to depart. And I, and I think that is, that is one of the most fascinating details of the book is just how it ties into mm-hmm. what is happening in mm-hmm. our, you know, today. Yeah. Well, um, I just want to, before we close, mm-hmm. I thought we could go around and just give kind of our final take on the book, just kind of a nutshell or idea about it. Um, so why don't you start, Abby? Okay. Um, I, I'm really glad that I had a chance to read the book. Um, as I said, I hesitated before I started, but it reminded me how much I love Harper Lee's voice, and I hope that... I hope that um, she has written other things and that we get to see them in the coming years. But I also hope that she really has people who are fighting for her best interest because she's given us so much. She's given us such gifts. And it would be a shame if she were ill-treated in her final years. Yeah. I'm also glad that um, I read the novel. I you know, honestly had no intention um, of reading it until, until Abby asked me to read it. <laughs> And so, uh, but once I did, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, there, you know, it wasn't, it certainly is, it falls in the middle of the pack in terms of, of novels that I've read. But um, it, as, as, you know, we've discussed, Harper Lee's voice is there. And I think that um, there, are, there are great moments in the book that are interesting and captivating. Um, and there's also some interesting themes that, you know, I think um, are, must have been very difficult for a woman in this time to try to explore. So um, I think, you know, I'm very glad I read it. I, it, was a, it was an interesting read. Certainly it was a quick read, too. So yeah. um, I'm happy to have done that. Great. Well, you know, it got, there was a book talked about by a lot of people mm-hmm. on the front page of the newspaper. Yes. And I, I'm kind of stealing this from, from my boss, John, but he pointed out that this book has the best also by pages of any book in the world because it says also by Harper Lee to kill a mockingbird. And that's it. The rest is just pure white. So if, if only for those two reasons, I'm glad the book's around. Yeah, me so, too. Excellent. Yeah, well, um, thanks very much, Abby, Paula, and uh, thanks for listening. See Thank you next you. time. Thank you. Thank you.